Bhavana. So, so this morning we turn to the penultimate stage of the cultivation of bodhicitta. I think you all see it coming. Uh, it's called the Laksam or Extraordinary Resolve. That would be my, my favorite translation. So you know what it is, but I'll just say it very succinctly. It's just before bodhicitta, and it is this resolve, this promise, pledge, that I, I shall free all sentient beings from all suffering and its causes and bring each one to perfect awakening, to perfect joy and its causes. It's quite an extraordinary result. And once again, just to say the obvious, as you arouse that, it's really quite magical in a, in a kind of a non-kitschy way, non-new-agey way. It's quite magical because the deeper that becomes authentic, the more that becomes authentic, that you actually are making the promise. You actually have a sense you can fulfill the promise. You can back it up. That's just going to plunge your perspective right down. You just can't stay in your psyche because it's a joke. You know, it's just a silly, a silly joke, like, like a cocktail party. Oh, by the way, Emerson, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to save all sentient beings. From, you know, it's kind of like, and then we all have a little good chuckle and, and pass the martini. You know, <laughs> really, I mean, it's right on that level of, yeah, you can, yeah that's really cute. Where did you hear that one? You know, where did you hear that one? Good one. Uh, so clearly, they just, there's no nesting place for that resolve. There's no place for it to take any root. That's it. It just kind of floats like, huh? In the whole realm of the psyche. And then you drift down to the substrate consciousness and way too, way too thin, just immeasurably too thin. There's only one place that can take root. So we're here we are on the surface of the mind, arousing this aspiration. But for it to take root, we're going to see two things happening. The perspective from which we are making that resolve has to drop, right? As it drops, reality rises up to meet us. The great union. The great union of your ordinary sense of identity being fused, dissolved into your true identity. And then there's that only that true identity that is holding the bag, that's holding the resolve, that's making the resolve. And insofar as you can drop down. So here we are, we're, seeing, we're really approaching this from two different directions. They're complementary. But one is the direction of shamatu without a sign, drop into the substrate, release, 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 and see if you can just cut through the substrate consciousness to rip up. That's the wisdom route, right? But now we see, whoa, as soon as we go into the greats, the great compassion and so forth, and now the union. The union of these, the great, obviously, well, all three of them, all three of them, are all four of them, of course, all four of them are now all fusing into one. The great loving kindness, great compassion, great empathetic joy, great equanimity. It's like four rivers now flowing into one resolve. Because they're all, they, they have to go there, right? They have to go there. Once you've stepped across the line, I made that point earlier, once you've stepped across the line from immeasurable equanimity, where you still have a choice, you could say, wow, I would really like to get out of samsara quickly and then take that road. Or you say, well, let's step over the line. And as soon as you start cultivating great compassion, you have stepped over the line because there's no going back. It has to then go into great loving kindness, empathetic joy, equanimity. It has to go to the extraordinary resolve, and that has to go. It's just like now you've lost all freedom of choice. If you follow that, if you, intend, if you meant it in great compassion, now... You just go into the, the river of bliss, of bliss and emptiness, that has to take you to bodhicitta, because it cannot go any other direction. No choice. Now you're helpless. Now you're totally helpless. Now you've lost it. 
You had choices before. Now you've lost all your choices. You can only, there's no choice. You simply have to flow spontaneously with the current of your aspiration. But that current then, going there, you'll just keep on it kind of hammering on the door, hammering just like when we're doing the oscillation, probing into the nature of the agent. Who's the agent? Who's the one? Who's the one making this resolve? Who's the one making this decision? Who's the one making this promise? Right? And it keeps on hammering the door and hammering down that very thin and flimsy door of your own ordinary ego, your psyche, your substrate consciousness. It has to hammer through those because none of them can hold this. And you hammer right on through. So here's the, the skillful means or the compassion. Skillful means is good. Wisdom is skillful means. Here's the skillful means approach to doing the same thing. But now actively. So the one could be like, it could be a rikpa. Remember the, what was it called? The clear light of realization where you realize the rikpa in its complete inactivity. Remember? Yes, you remember, yeah? Just immersing in that non-dual realization of primordial consciousness, indivisible from dhamma-dhatu. Right? There's that possibility. But of course, then, then, then there's this visionary clear light, and this is where it's opening up, it's expanding, it's going out horizontally. And of course, now we're, t- now we're attending to the other aspect. Just like there's cognizance and luminosity, as core features of consciousness, and then core features, of course, of substrate consciousness. Now when we go to the level of Rikpa, once again, there's the primordial consciousness of knowing reality as it is. That would be the cognizance, that clear light of realization, right? But there's also the luminous aspect. The luminous aspect is the primordial consciousness of knowing the full range of phenomena, this omnipresent compassion, but since it's not simply being aware of, like it's a spy, or you know, it's got some kind of psychic ability, but it's this non-dual awareness. Well, it's a non-dual awareness, but if it's non-dual awareness, then when attending to any of us here, to Doug or anyone else, the awareness there in this full range of phenomena is from the perspective of everybody else's mandala. So it's suddenly, and this is why, maybe it just dawned on me right now, I'm just listening to what's coming to mind. Uh, it's one in the sense that this non-duality, this primordial consciousness of knowing reality as it is, it's one. It's one beyond any possibility of one. It's, it's just, it is what it is. So we had to give it a number, it would have to be one. Because it's not zero and it's not more. So if you want to give it a number, it would be one. right? It's often said of the Dharmakaya, chuku nyakchik, chuku nyakchik, it's in Tibetan. There's just one Dharmakaya. So that's not like, oh, now we, now we got it. One in multiplicity. I've got it. Now, okay, we're going for the one. That is, my, when I realize my Rikpa, I'm realizing the one Rikpa. The one Rikpa, right? One, one. How could it be more than one? On the one hand, but on the other hand, I've already given it away, haven't I? This primordial consciousness of the full range of phenomena is tapping into the perspective of every sentient being. And that's infinite, countless, immeasurable, and it's non-dual. It's non-dual. Right? It's looking, it's, it's seeing Jeffrey's mandala from Jeffrey's perspective. And it's not somebody poking in. It's not somebody peeping, peeping in. You know, It is actually Jeffrey's rikpa that's viewing Jeffrey's mandala from Jeffrey's rikpa's perspective. But now, how can we say that it's one when it is as many as there are sentient beings? 
but it's simultaneous, and it's non-dual. And that's when the computer just goes blip, 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 does not compute, does not compute, does not compute. Well, then it's neither one nor many. It's neither one nor as many sentient beings as there are, because neither one gives the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So everything flows into this extraordinary resolve. As you arouse it, I think it's going to be a silent meditation, almost silent anyway. Not much for me to say. I'll give the, the preamble and then I'm finished pretty much. As you arouse that, just dwell there. Dwell there. And see if the sense of its, that, that pledge, that resolve, being authentic, see if the authenticity of it can rise up to meet you. Anybody can say it, you know, the words and it's recited as a liturgy all the time. But for it to sink down, for you to sink down and your rigpa to rise up until there's non-duality between your conscious awareness and your pristine awareness, rest there. This is a skillful means for arousing that pristine awareness, that Buddha nature. The more deeply you go, the more deeply you will be making that resolve from the perspective of rigpa. So talk about a compliment to your Dzogchen meditation. How could it be better than this? Talk about, in terms of a preliminary practice, do we need to accrue great merit to achieve shamatha, vipassana, precede along the path of Dzogchen? Oh, absolutely. It requires an enormous amount of merit. Otherwise, we'll just have one obstacle after another after another. Uh, but, well, this would be accruing a great deal of merit. So, so I thought I'd just read a few verses from the chapter of Shantideva. I can't do any better than that. It's, it's his third chapter. It's the third chapter called Embracing Bodhicitta. So there's been preliminary practice prior to that, meditating on the benefits of Bodhicitta, and then the preliminary practice of the Sevalim Puja, making offerings, supplication, homage, and so forth. But then he goes, okay, now, now that we've kind of finished that, and that, that, that went from chapter 2 to 3, now in chapter 3, then he's offering these prayers which are not quite bodhicitta, but they're right next to bodhicitta, right next to explicitly arousing bodhicitta. So I would say, well, then we can call these prayers, and I'll just read them, I'll just kind of drop the seeds into your mind stream, and they will germinate there as we go into the meditation. So I just invite you to sit quietly and listen to Shantideva, because these were his prayers. These were his prayers. Chapter 3, A Guide to the Bodhisattva Way of Life, and I've simply selected some verses here. May I be the medicine and the physician for the sick. May I be their nurse until their illness never recurs. With showers of food and drink, may I overcome the afflictions of hunger and thirst. May I become food and drink during times of famine. May I be an inexhaustible treasury for the destitute. With various forms of assistance, may I remain in their presence. May I be a protector for those who are without protectors, a guide for travelers, and a boat, a bridge, and a ship for those who wish to cross over. May I be a lamp for those who seek light, a bed for those who seek rest, and may I be a servant for all beings who desire a servant. 
Just as earth and other elements are useful in various ways to innumerable sentient beings dwelling throughout infinite space, so may I be in various ways a source of life for the sentient beings present throughout space until they're all liberated. So those are his words expressing this prayer. Go directly to the supplication and the meditation. Chum, <speaking in foreign language> Gurupema <speaking in foreign language>
엄마 홈, 베베코르 베베세리 홈. To reinforce that, settle your body, speech, and mind in the natural state, awareness settling in its primordial stillness beyond time. From this perspective, then, if you will, arouses extraordinary resolve. And the resolve is that I, without looking to anyone else, I alone, shall free all sentient beings from all suffering and its causes and bring all sentient beings to a state of perfect awakening.
as you sustain this thought. Simply rest with it, letting it sink in, the implications, what is required in order to fulfill it. Again, there needs to be a path, a strategy for carrying through to its culmination. And then if you find it helpful to deepen and further deepen this resolve, with every in-breath imagine the blessings of all the awakened ones, of all the three times, past, present, and future, flowing into this timeless fourth time, into the nucleus of your heart, filling your whole being, converging in upon your heart, this indestructible bindu, Blessing your body, speech, and mind so that you may indeed be enabled to fulfill this pledge. With each in-breath, imagine these boundless rays of light flowing in upon your body, your heart. With every out-breath, imagine these lights then flowing outwards in all directions. And in accordance with these prayers of Shantideva, Imagine this light, your own emanations, the effulgences of your own pristine awareness flowing out into the world, manifesting wherever you can be of benefit, like the reflections of the moon in the water. Imagine the light taking on form, whether it's as a bridge, as medicine, as a couch, as a friend, as a teacher, as a meadow, whatever it may be whatever sentient beings require, whatever they need in the moment to help them along the way to their own awakening. Imagine these myriad lights flowing out from your heart, taking on these inconceivable forms, this vast array of forms. With every in-breath, the light flows in. With every out-breath, the light flows out, fulfilling the needs fulfilling the most meaningful aspirations of all sentient beings.
Let your awareness be still. So you remember the three types of ignorance, remember? The first one was actually I only freshly learned about, or I learned about it and I forgot it, I just learned again, that nanichipu marikpa, the ignorance of being of the same identity, same identity, same nature, same identity. That was the deepest, you remember? There was that, that one, and then there's the conate ignorance, and then the acquired, speculative, artificial ignorance. But that deep one, whoa, it's exactly the same point as Gyatsurambuchi said, that the difference between, and you've heard it a number of times, I'm going to say it again, the difference between sentient beings and Buddhas, Buddhas know who they are, sentient beings don't, right? And so that level of ignorance, that unawareness that your own identity has never been other than that of Samatabhadra. Your mind has never been other than Dharmakaya but we're unaware of that somehow, somehow, some in, inconceivable way. At no distant time in the past, simply inconceivable, our own identity has been veiled from ourselves. How strange. But that is exactly what it is. And so this practice then, as we are like dropping a, like dropping a weight or an anchor in the water and just letting it go down, 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 down until it just finally hits the ground, we drop the anchor of our conscious awareness, our perspective, and we drop that anger right down through the layers upon layers of the mind, right down, right cutting right through the substrate consciousness until it comes to the ground, until that resolve can be absolutely authentic, absolutely confident that, in fact, this is not simply a hope. This is a pledge. A pledge means you have to carry through, right? Until your sense of identity just drops, and you're just sustaining that. You're sustaining that until it's completely authentic and realistic and practical. And the only place for that finally to happen, that you can go, ah, like that, okay, now. It's when you come to your ground. Hmm. So we see it looks like there's two doors, just like they're male and female and so many other polarities. Primordial, primordial consciousness of the full range of phenomena, primordial consciousness of reality as it is. There seem to be two doors. This is really simple the door to ultimate bodhicitta by way of relative bodhicitta. And the way to relative bodhicitta by way of ultimate bodhicitta, by way of rikpa. So it's very inviting. If you find it a bit difficult to come through one door, you can always check out the other door. They're both open. You know. Or better yet, why not? Just come through both doors. 
Ah, so. That was quite beautiful, all oh, those verses. Quite extraordinary. So you can always go back to those. If you want replenishment for your spirit, for your heart, for your courage, for your confidence, uh, I don't know of anything really more full of blessing to ground us in these relative ultimate bodhicitta than Shantideva. There has to be a very good reason why it's the most commonly taught, studied, and practiced text in all of Tibetan Buddhism. There has to be really good reasons. You can imagine the competition. You know. So this is like apple. You know, like <laughs> many brilliant texts, but of course, so many, and so many Dzogchen masters, Pachur Rinpoche, Pachur Rinpoche, one of the great, great Dzogchen masters, Yingma masters of the 19th century. His lineage, he taught, he was a great Dzogchen master, and I can't remember the exact number, but he taught the Bodhicharvatara something like 55 times. And yet he could be just teaching Tekshut and Turkel and the most sublime esoteric, Long Chambans, all of that he could be. Of course, he's a master. Everybody knew he was a master. He was renowned. But he kept on coming back again, again and again and again. Bodhicharvatara, Bodhicharvatara. And among his disciples was an extraordinary lama. I never had the good fortune to meet him. Dehor Kyokan Rinpoche. He's Indian. Indian. But then went at a very early, I don't know a whole lot about his life story, but born in Indian Himalayas region, Himalayan region, uh, but on the Indian side of the border. And then, as I recall, the young man went to India to learn Dharma. And, uh, and he received, I believe he received directly from Paturamache, I'm pretty sure, from Paturamache, the oral, the, the oral transmission and commentary, oral commentary on Bodhisattva And this man, he just absolutely... Like there was just a non-duality of his whole being, body, speech, and mind. Just like this is, here's the embodiment of the Bodhicharvatara. Here's a man where you don't need to look anything outside of him. The whole Bodhicharvatara is here, in his eyebrows, in his smile, in his body hair. This is just, that's the text in a human form. And his teaching, I don't know that, I have one book by him, uh, and it's simply in praise of Bodhicitta. And the whole text is not very long, but maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 pages, something like that. The whole text is just this, it's like, like, like romantic love. That would be the closest I can think of. Just like, you know, just, I don't, I don't even know poetry, so I can't cite a really good example, but a lover just gushing, gushing with just this utterly mind-transcending, blissful love for the beloved. And of course we find this in the Christian tradition. Right? St. Teresa of Avila. I'm quite sure, very strong there. Am I not right? Yeah. So there it is. And her love is for whom? Of course, for her Savior. But it's definitely love poetry. Look at the writings of the fifth Dalai Lama. Sixth Dalai Lama. Sixth Dalai Lama. Sixth Dalai Lama. These, and as he was a great lover. He's a great lover. And there is this love flowing out in this beautiful poetry. Really beautiful love poetry. The sixth Dalai Lama. You know. And then it's all transcendent. It's all utterly pure. So in exactly the same thing, I mean really exactly, that same utter heart. It's just making its way through words, but it's not coming from scholarship any more than love poetry comes from, I've read some really good books on this, I think I can do a good one. You know, not going to happen. Right? In this, exactly the same way. He wrote just this in praise of Bodhicitta. And it's just this flowering of his, just his adoration. His, there's like a nice word. His adoration of bodhicitta as being the beginning, the middle, and the end, the everything, the all, 
the culmination of meaning, the essence of Dharma, and he just went on and on and on. Well, that was Deho Gyombarambache. He did manage to come to India. He, a good friend of mine was his attendant, Tenzin Priyadashi, a personal attendant. Uh, Tenzin is quite an extraordinary individual in his own right, also Indian, but from deeper into India. Wonderful monk, wonderful teacher, very dear friend. So, Deo Gyopan Ramachi is then carrying this lineage of Patra Ramachi on the Bodhisattvatara, guided the Bodhisattva way of life. And then we have the young Dalai Lama receiving lineage upon lineage of all the great streams, you know, for the highest, you know, the Yamantaka, Goesamaja, Vajra Yogini, Chakra Samvara, Hevajra. You can imagine how many. This is the Dalai Lama. He needs to receive all these transmissions, all the empowerments. So he received it from Chokyatijanamachi. Oh, here comes, here comes the great Mississippi, the great Mississippi of the flow of Sakya. And here is Sakya. Oh, my goodness, that would be enough to fill you for infinite lifetimes, just the Sakya. That would be enough. That would be enough for all lifetimes, from now until enlightenment. But oh, no, no. Dingo Kenshiramachi, here comes the flood. Oh, here comes all of Nyingmapa flowing into his own Dalai Lama. And his senior tutor, Nyingaramachi, his junior tutor, Kapchitijanamachi. If his holiness you know, calls on a lama, would you please give me a trans- transmission? Do you think there's any Lama that say, no, I'm sorry, I'm really busy? You know, not going to happen. You know, so he's received transmissions from all these great trinities, I think all the great lineages, the Sutriyana, Vajrayana, Dzogchen, Mahamudra, everything. But then there's this one. Who, from whom, you know it, I mean, you know the, already the answer. From whom will His Holiness the Dalai Lama receive the oral transmission and commentary for the Bodhicharvatara? Because everybody has it. Nobody, even I have it. Everybody has it. Everybody who's you know, trained even moderately in Tibetan Buddhism. I mean, this is, you have it. So in other words, you could throw a, a rock in any direction, and it's going to bounce off of somebody who has that transmission. Well, you know who he received it from. Tehor Kyoban That's his transmission. That's who he cites when he's teaching, and he's teaching it all over the world, has for decades. And then he cites his guru lineage. Patur Rinpoche. Tehor Kyoban and I've received it from his, from his Holiness. Also, like so many people have, but I have received it in entirety from His Holiness. And of course from my revered Lama, his emanation really, Gishingon Taike, taught us line by line, spectacular. That was my first introduction. 1972 in Dharma and then His Holiness in 1975 in Switzerland and then multiple teachings after that. So that's Bodhicharita. So we're going to have one more citation tomorrow, because tomorrow, of course, is Bodhicitta Day. (laughs) So be happy, enjoy your day, and I'll see you throughout the day. And then, and he was an extremely good scholar, and so he's ready to receive these high accolades, you know, very great honors and so forth. And then he just disappeared. I don't mean magically, but he was just gone. And he went from there, he, went just, he just disappeared. He went, just basically adopted the lifestyle of Melarepa, of Melarepa, and lived up in the mountains outside of Lhasa, and uh, just, just pure Kadampa, just pure Kadampa, nothing besides Dharma, utter simplicity in every way, utter depth. He did make it down to India also, and my lama, one of my lamas, again, Chambhavandu, a yogi's yogi, incredible yogi, uh, he trained with him in Tibet, my lama. He trained with me in the, in the hermitage in Tibet. And my, my lama, again, again Chambhavandu, 
uh, and he, he let me stay in his hut when I went to Dar- back to Dharamsala in 1980 to go into retreat. He moved into Gisharapton's cabin, and he let me move into his cabin. Fantastic, apart from the bedbugs. Oh. Dozens and dozens. I had so much good company. And they were very hungry. So, but Gen Chama wondered, just as an aside, when he was training with him, I think for some years, and totally in meditation, then he actually, after a couple of trial runs of failure, then he succeeded in living on the metal chule, these little pills that are made out of flowers, flower petals, and a bit of tsamba, a little bit of honey and butter. And he lived on those. You, you, you change your whole digestive tract. And you don't need to eat any food. You just take three of these pills per day. And then you just live on the pills indefinitely. And he did for months and months. He actually really accomplished it. And which means you have no more feces, no more number two, only you pee, and you drink as much water as you like. Um, so he was a very, very accomplished yogi. And, and uh, Lama Zubaramaji, I heard, said he'd achieved shamatha. He achieved shamatha. So he taught me the transmission on the, uh, this metal julen, this flower essence. He gave me that transmission. And he's been a wonderful guide. Incredible guide. Kuno Lama Rinpoche. He was born in Kulu, wasn't he? Yeah. So I was completely wrong. I, to, I, I mistook one fantastic yogi for another fantastic yogi. The other one is, as, as Natu said, Kuno Lama Rinpoche. And he was also born in India, also, and the other one, not also, he was born in India, Deo Kevin Rinpoche in Tibet, I'm almost certain. And then, then it goes on from there. Then everything else was true. He went to Tibet, he became a great scholar and then received the Paturamachi transmission uh, and, then gra- and then offered it to His Holiness. So, did I get it right this time? No, really, you're correct, and I'm really happy. There's no reason to disseminate misinformation, which is what I did. I mean, you wouldn't have gone to a hell realm as a result of that. You, know? you wouldn't have your, oh my goodness, I screwed up my Dzogchen practice. But, you know, there's no reason. Thank you, so thank you. Kuno Lamarabaji, Kuno Lamarabaji. And that was the one that Tenzin Priyadarshi was his attendant. Yeah, so Tenzin, oh. He's been the attendant of some, some incredible lamas. Great, great merit. Great. He's with his own in his right now, I believe. Yeah. So, thank you, Natula. Anytime I make another mistake and I just jump on, because there's no reason to have mistakes just lingering out there when they can be so easily corrected. So, thank you. Good. Now, enjoy your day. <laughs>